Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Philippians chapter 1 is our text. We're going to go into chapter 2 today. And let me just kind of give you a context to review and just help us with uh, today's lesson. So Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing it to the church at Philippi. He planted this church in Acts chapter 16 on his second missionary journey. He revisited the church in Acts 20 on his third missionary journey, and he is writing to them about nine years later. Okay? Now, skip down to verse 13, and you know where he's writing from. Not from a country club, not from his holiday home in the Bahamas, from a prison. In verse 13, chapter 1, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest. Now look at it, that my chains are in Christ. He's writing from prison, okay, for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he's in prison. So he's writing from prison. He's writing to the church at Philippi that he planted about nine years earlier. Okay. And then if you would look, look at verse eight, if you go backwards a little bit to verse eight of chapter one, you see that they had a very special relationship. Look what it says. For God is my witness. Okay. So when you say that, when he's saying that, he's saying is that um, what I'm going to say to you almost doesn't seem right. It almost doesn't seem true. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affections of Jesus Christ. And and the longing there and the affections there we talked about before is the same usage as in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, as a child desires the milk of the word. Okay? It's a it's a longing, the longing there, when it talks about longing, it's a longing that a child wants when they're hungry. That's the kind of relationship they had. It was a special relationship. And then if we go all the way down uh, to chapter 4 of the same book, Philippians chapter 4, we get a little bit more insight here. As we look at the introduction, Philippians 4 verse uh, 18, because this will kind of lead us to today. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from a that from a Epaphroditus, the thing sent from you a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. Epaphrodites took a financial gift and traveled uh, over a thousand miles, right? Over a thousand miles to give that to Paul. And he did it because he said, We love you. And we want to know. And he did it because he wanted to check on Paul. And so Paul writes this letter. This is what happened, right? Paul writes this letter and says, hey, here's how I'm doing. But then he also writes and says, I hear there's some problems in the church. Right? I hear there's some problems. And he sends that letter back with Epaphrodites 
to give back to them. And so that's what we want to look at today. There's a bit of a problem in church. And the problem is, as we go back to chapter one, the problem is that there is an interpersonal relationship problem in the church that's causing division, at least among two prominent women. And these were not carnal or people that were just professing Christians that weren't believers. These were prominent members that were sold out for Christ. And there was a division that was strong enough that Paul wrote about. And that's what we want to look at today. You see, the Bible speaks of unity and the importance of the unity of the believers and the church. And the devil wants to disturb that and change that. Now, the theme today is unity among the believers and the title is striving to be one. And I selected that title very carefully because we have to strive. We have to work hard to be one. It is not natural. Unity is not natural because I, we focus, tend to focus on what we think is right and what we believe and what we want. And it's not natural. It's supernatural. Now, three very simple points today. Number one, how do we strive to be united? Well, we see that we have a common ground and a common goal. Our common ground is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our common goal is the Great Commission, but beyond that is to glorify Christ. We are concerned about his reputation. That's the first thing. Number two, we have a common enemy. And it's been said that the devil has changed his tactics in the church. His first tactic was to persecute from the outside, but that only strengthens the church. So he rots out from within and causes division, a common enemy. So we have a common ground, a common goal. We have a common enemy and we have a common mandate. And the common mandate is to do our part, to work hard at unity. Unity in our families, unity among our fellow believers here at the church. And although this message is not really about unity amongst co-workers, etc., amongst the unsaved, it's really a message to, to, the, to the church and to the believers. I think there's applications that we can use as well towards it. So before we consider this portion of scripture, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God. Thank you today, Lord, as we read this book. Again, Lord, a book that's 2,000 years old. We are not reading just stories. This book, out of all books of antiquity, is far superior when tested. If we would say the Bible is not true, then we would have to throw out all books of antiquity and all history. Because this, when all tests are put to it, this one is the one that stands strongest. We thank you, Lord, as we look today from the word of God. I am not preaching my opinion because that doesn't mean anything. I am preaching from your written word, your love letter given to mankind. Help us today. This topic of unity is a very serious one. And it is one that will continuously be challenged in our lives and in our church. We pray today as we hear from you 
that you will speak to us and you'll apply it again individually. The Spirit of God dwells in us as believers. And I pray individually you will apply this as you see fit. We want to hear from you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A common ground and a common goal. We just look very simply at verse 27 and chapter 1. He says, says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 lays that out. Jesus Christ came down from heaven. He came for one primary purpose. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again to saint on, on the third day. That's the good news. And then it says this. Look at the last phrase of chapter 27. With one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And you got the gospel laid out right here. You got the, the Protestant reformers laid out right here. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. The faith of the gospel is the means to our salvation. Christ gave the provision. We're saved by grace. It is a gift. And the means that God gives us is faith, pistuo, it's trust is a better word. And every one of you today, and you don't even know this, your examples today, every one of you have given an example of pistuo or biblical faith because the word believe is so watered down today. To believe means that you believe something intellectually. You have the facts. I believe that that pew right there, if I sit on it, will hold me. You believe and you understand, but you're not trusting in that pew when you stand there and look at it. That's an intellectual faith. But when you sit on that pew and you put all of your weight on that pew, you are trusting that pew is going to hold your weight. That's biblical faith. You understand, you hear the facts, you understand the facts, but you put all of your trust, all of your weight, all your hope in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's not Christ plus baptism. It's not Christ plus the Ten Commandments. It's Christ alone. That's it. And when you come to that truth, and there are many people that will worship in churches today, and they're trusting in Christ and works, and they're lost. They're lost. It's tragic. But Paul says we have this common ground, and that is the gospel. We have all placed our trust in Christ alone for our salvation. So this common ground we have. Now, we also have a common goal. Verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul said so much right there in those few words. A Christian is a follower of Christ. And Paul says, the way you conduct yourselves, the way you live your lives, we live our lives, should be a reflection on the name that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul hits him hard here. He's really going to get to his point. Now, I want us to see something and a very clear God's desire. 
in John 17, because I think sometimes we just don't understand how important unity amongst the believers is. John 17, and by the way, we'll look at it as we look at this passage. It's not unity of the churches. It's unity of the believers. You see, just because there's a church doesn't mean there's a believer in the church, right? There are many churches, which are buildings, which are filled with people, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're believers. It's not unity of churches, ecumenical movement. It's unity of believers, one body in Christ. And there's a big difference. Now, in John chapter 17, verse 9, I want you to see this. I pray, 17, verse 9, the book of John, I pray for them, the words of Christ. He's talking about his apostles. I do not pray for the world. I don't pray for the unsaved, this prayer, okay? But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I am praying for my apostles, okay? This particular prayer. Now, I want you to skip down to verse 20. Jesus Christ, the God-man, the creator of the universe, John chapter 1, verse 1, the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one who sits on the throne giving intercessions for us, is praying. Isn't that amazing? And this is his prayer. First of all, look at verse 20, so we're included. I do not pray for these alone, speaking of the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. All believers, okay? The apostles led people to Christ, and those people led people to Christ, and those people shared the gospel, and those people shared the gospel until it got down to us. So I am praying not for a church building or people who call the name themselves Christians to be one. I am praying for all true believers. What's his prayer? That they all may be one as you, Father, are in mine and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world might believe that you sent me. One. United. United in Christ. United with this common, because of this common ground and with common goal. Our goal in this church, as long as I am the pastor, will be to glorify Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's name will be lifted up. It is not about individuals. It is not about our desires. It's not about our opinions. It's about Jesus Christ. What does Jesus Christ want? What pleases him? That's what God wants. And the day that this church does not want to do that, which I hope never happens, is the day for me to pack my bags and leave because Jesus Christ will be lifted up. Now, I want you to go back again to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Now look at Paul says again. Verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You behave like Christians. Church at Philippi. You behave like Christians. 
You love to glorify me. Look what he says now. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I hope to come to visit you. But God only knows. We're saying in Ireland, right? We're saying here, we say, um, I can't even remember what it is actually, but it's please God in Ireland, okay? Please God. That means if it's God's will, okay? If it's God's will. So Paul is saying, my plan is to come to you. Please God, if it's God's will, right? Now, so whether I come to see you or an absent, I may hear of your prayers. Now look at this, that you stand fast in one spirit. And that means exactly what it says, one spirit. It means, it pulls in the emotion, right? One spirit, we're enthused. I am enthused, I want to glorify Christ, not I want to glorify Christ, right? I want to glorify Christ. That's one spirit, okay? But it's not just that. Not only one spirit, that you stand fast in one spirit, but one, or excuse me, one mind as well. So it's not just this enthusiasm that's based on nothing. It's enthusiasm that's based on truth, the word of God, okay? So one spirit, we're enthusiastic, but we're holding true to the Bible, and what the Bible says is, I want there to be a unity to glorify my name. And I want you to stand fast in that. You know what that means? Stand fast. You get a, a four by four um, piece of timber, six foot. You dig a two foot hole and you put a bunch of concrete in there and you, you cement it in there and it's nice and sturdy. So when the wind blows, that baby is not moving. That's what that word means. You stand fast. Not you can do this today, not tomorrow. You know, you stand fast. You don't move on this. Okay? See how Paul's, I mean, he is, he's nailing it here. That you stand fast in one spirit. And then he also says this, if all that's not enough, with one mind striving together. Striving together. The root word there is the word we get for athlete. The Greeks loved their athletes. They were very passionate about them. Sports, Greco-Roman wrestling was one of them. Much training, much discipline, much hardship. Again, unity does not come naturally. Your walk with God does not come naturally. God is rewarded to those who diligently seek Him, not casually seek Him. It's passion that Paul brings here. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles with me to chapter 4 because you're going to get to the problem. And I also want to show you that same word there in chapter 4. He uses again. Now, look what he says. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, I implore, pretty strong word, Judea, and I implore Syntica, to be of the same mind in the Lord. That word same mind means a disciplined mind. You have to discipline your mind and discipline your thoughts and discipline your hearts to think right. It doesn't come naturally. Unity doesn't come naturally. Look what he says then. And I urge you also, implore, implore, and urge. You think this is important? It's pretty important. 
true companion, he says. I know who you are. I know you're true companions of Christ. I know you're believers. Or he's writing to a true companion. He's writing to whoever he's writing to, true companion. But he could also be saying that to them. Help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Now stop it there. They labored. They toiled to exhaustion with the apostle Paul. They were on some of his, perhaps, part of his missionary journeys. Or they went out and shared the gospel. They went out and ministered to people. These were prominent members. True companions. Help these women who labored me with the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These are believers. These are prominent members. And they're having a problem there's a fallout and may that be a warning to us I mean we got it you know when the Bible says in first, I think it's first Corinthians 10 12 take heed to the examples in the Bible lest you fall I mean God means it. I mean if David a man after God's own heart could commit adultery and murder Wow, what am I capable of? If these women who were prominent members who labor with Paul, who Paul said, I have seen enough of your life that I know you're believers, I know you're going to heaven, and, I, and, and, and they can have enough of a stir and a problem that Paul addresses them, then cannot that happen to us? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Because Jeremiah 79, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's what beats inside of us. Now, so this common ground is to glorify Christ. Because God wants us to be one for his name. Now, there's also a common enemy. If you go back to Philippians chapter 1, we talk about unity. We have to be one. Paul emphasizes that in chapter 27. One, one, one. Be one. Strive to be one. One in what? One in our common goal. To glorify Jesus Christ. Make sure that's our goal. Verse 28 and 30, there's a common enemy. The devil. The devil is real. And some of us in America have never experienced the satanic attacks that we have experienced in Ireland. I lived in Ireland for 19 years. I planted, by God's grace, two churches, Connie and I and our family, whatever there, to plant two churches in counties that never had an evangelical church. There is a satanic stronghold on those areas and I could tell you stories about satanic encounters that would make the hair in the back of your head curl up the devil is real the Bible says this be sober that's so real be sober throw some water in somebody's face be sober be vigilant because your adversary first Peter 5 8 your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walking about, seeking who may he may devour. 
He's our adversary. When it says seeking whom he may devour, that word devour in the original language means to chew up into a liquid form and to drink down. The devil doesn't want to just kill you instantly. The devil wants to torture you. There's no good in him. There's no mercy. There's no kindness. All he wants to do is torture you. That's his goal. Now, in verse 28, look what it says. And not in any way terrified by your what? Adversaries. Ultimately the devil. And we'll tie that in in a moment. Now, Paul is writing to the, to the church at Philippi. Again, this title, I think, in this context, he's, he's writing on unity. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Now, parentheses, put a parentheses here, which is to them a proof of perdition. Paul says this, you are being terrified, you are being resisted, you are being, uh, some perhaps even martyred by your adversaries. And what that means is simply, verse 28 saying here, which is to them a proof of perdition, is that they're not believers. Okay, Anyone that is opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're not believers. Okay, Obviously. They're not believers. And we'll talk about why we think he wrote that. Paul was one. Remember, he executed the church of Christ and then he got saved. And then it says this. But to you of salvation and that from God. What is he saying there? We'll support this with verse 29. He's saying there is that you are going through persecution, but that's normal. It is normal to be terrified by your adversaries. It is normal to think face persecution by unbelievers. Why? Because the devil is our enemy. Now look at verse 29. supports what I just said. Look what it says. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer his sake. It's a package deal. You get saved. You trust Christ the Savior. You now have an enemy who hates everyone, but specifically now hates you. And he's going after you. And he's resisting you. And the Bible says in verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. You know, you've experienced it. You saw I've experienced it, right? I planted the church at Philippi. Just go look at that passage at the end. I was in prison with the Philippian jailer. You saw that I was persecuted. You saw uh, at that time uh, the hardship I went through. And now you see that I'm in prison too. I'm still being persecuted. So you are being persecuted. Apparently when the letter, the news came to Paul, he heard of division and he heard they're facing persecution. And he says, that's normal. It's the norm for Christians. Now why does he say that in the midst of this? Why is he bringing up persecution in the midst of this context of unity? I wonder. And I would say this, because when things get, when the pressure cooker comes and gets stronger and stronger and stronger on our lives, our, our toleration goes down. Things that perhaps wouldn't have bothered us will now bother us. 
You get two or three hard days of not working, or excuse me, working too much and not sleeping, and, and headaches, um, and, and problems with people, and your tolerance level, it's like those video games, right? You know, when the guy, your guy's getting hit and his, his, his red, I, I don't play him anymore. I used to, man, I used to play him all the time in the, in the 80s and the 90s, and now my kids are all better than me, and so I don't play anymore. I used to be better than them during the day, but I'm not anymore. I just don't play. But that energy level's going down. That's us, right? And so part of this unity is the pressure cooker. And the only thing I can give you is, is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and say this. Now listen, this is a good piece of advice that God has given me, and I'm going to give you, because I've had to learn this in the ministry. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? Pace yourself. Pace yourself. In busy America, you know, one thing I loved about Ireland, we had no concept of time. We just kind of hung out. We did what we did. That was frustrating when you wanted something done, but he alleviated the stress. And I have to tell you, I've taken that over here. Uh, I try to be on time with things, but I try not to look at the clock very often. I find it alleviates stress. Pace yourself. Don't put too many things on your list of things to do. Because you bring stress. And that stress, what's it do? It lowers your tolerance. And maybe that's what happens here. But the common enemy wants us to be busy, 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 busy. Like the church of Ephesus. Remember Mary. Mary has chosen the good part, which won't be taken away from her. She sat at the feet of Christ. Remember that. The common enemy. Now, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 10. Onward, Christian soldiers. We are soldiers in Christ. You got saved. You got drafted. You didn't have to enlist. You're drafted. You're a soldier. Whether you like it or not. Are we an effective soldier is the question. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Dunamis. Might. That's the strongest word you could use at that day. Dynamite. Today, you would say a nuclear bomb, the power of God. That's what we need. We need to be tapped into God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the methods of the devil. And let me just say, the devil has a bag of tricks. He knows how to get to you. <coughs> now, look at this. This is what's important. This is why I'm here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That word wrestles, palais. It's a word that was used for Greco-Roman wrestling in those days. They would Greco-Roman wrestling is wrestling that you don't shoot below the waist. I did a bit of my from of it when I was in college. In fact, I wrestled for a team called Philadelphia Palais. And what you do is you can't wrestle anywhere below the hips. You can't grab their legs. 
You're basically locked with each other and trying to throw each other. That's what it is. And it's grueling. We don't wrestle. Now look at it against flesh and blood. But but this person said this and they hurt me and my family. Guys, look, look past that person. But they did this. Look past that person. We don't wrestle with people. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Can the devil make people do something? No. But can he manipulate and deceive people? Yes. Look at the book of Job. Chapter 1. He stirred up the Sambians to attack Sir Job's servants. Job chapter 1. He didn't do that. Can the devil stir somebody up to do a, almost like an unprovoked attack against you? Absolutely. Absolutely. He does it all the time. Look beyond the person. Look to the devil. See that person as deceived and it will help you greatly in this whole thing. Now, a common enemy. The enemy is ultimately, they had adversaries, but ultimately the adversaries were the devil. And that pressure cooker can contribute to us not being on our game. And we have to abide in Christ and rely on the Spirit of God and not get knocked out of that. Number three, as we wrap up quickly, a common mandate. A common mandate. Go back to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 27. I'm going to start there and I'm going to go skip over to verse 2. Because this is where this kind of ties into the context of verse 10. Look what it says. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. Now look at this. That you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Verses 28, 29, and 30, parenthesis. And then verse, and then chapter 2, verse 1. Okay. Now, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if, now I want you to replace that if with a since. That's a better, a better way to render that. Therefore, since there is any consolation or since there is consolation in Christ to console somebody, power Kalea, right? You have been consoled by Christ and you have consoled other people. You've put your arms around other people. Paul says this, if any comfort of love, you have been comforted out of love and you have comforted others out of love if any fellowship of the spirit you have had close intimate fellowship with one another because you both or the group you have been walking together in the spirit that's the key because we're not walking in the spirit then we're carnal and then there can be strife and then he says this and since and since there's fellowship of the spirit and then and affections and mercy you have been the recipients of mercy and pity and you have been merciful so much so that this isn't just like a surface mercy it's an affectionate mercy which comes from the a term means from the bottom of my bowels we say from the bottom of my heart 
they say from the bottom of my bowels. It's a deep mercy. That's why the word is translated affection. And then he says this, fulfill my joy. <coughs> Paul says in verse 27, he kind of hits them hard. You need to strive together. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, now I want you to, or verse 2, I want you to make me happy. That word joy, fulfill my joy, it's a glass, faucets on, water's falling out of the glass. Fulfill my joy. I want my joy to be overflowing and you can help. This is what you need to do. Be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Same idea as we looked in verse 27. One accord is the idea of co-spirited. Remember he said the same spirit, same word. I want you to be enthusiastic about glorifying Christ. I want you to know your Bibles and love me with your mind and know what it says. And I want you to stand for the truth. So it's not just emotionalism, but it's not dead orthodoxy either. It's an enthusiastic love and passion to glorify Christ. And in this case, to be one together and united. That's what he's trying to share. One mind. Like-minded, and you do this, you can fulfill my joy. Now, here's the, the things we have to be careful of. Here's a little potholes in the road. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition is just that. Somehow we're looking Remember we talked about the same word when, when Paul was in prison, people did that, selfish ambition. They were preaching out of selfish ambition. They were preaching to make a name for themselves. Paul's in prison. This is my opportunity. I'm going to be the big man. It's the same thing that happened in the church. I want to move my way up the ladder, so to speak. Selfish ambition. Let nothing, Paul says, ever be done for that reason. What do we do it for? For the glory of Jesus Christ. Or conceit. You know what conceit is? It's a trap we fall into, all of us. You're sitting there talking to somebody and you have in your mind, you already know the answer and they're talking, you're thinking, yeah, 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 just get through what you have to say so I can tell you because I got the answer sorted. That's conceit, okay? Listen, one mouth, two ears. You don't learn from talking, you learn from what? Listen. It's free. Fulfill my, fulfill my joy by doing this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Lowliness of mind simply means humility of mind, and it's defined. He gives you the definition right after it. What's humility of mind in this case? Esteem others better than themselves, himself. You know what that means? It means we should look at the gifts and the abilities and the talents of others and admire them. Somebody's good at baseball and I play baseball, but this guy's better. Awesome. This guy's a great pitcher. This guy's a great batter. This guy, somebody's involved with music. This, per this person's a, a great musician. Instead of saying, I'm better than them. That's our natural tendency, isn't it? 
That's what we naturally say. It needs, it needs to be the Spirit of God that works in us to somehow say, let me, God, let me, even when we pray this, let me admire instead of being jealous. Let me admire what they do. Let me look up to them. That's the idea here. And maybe that was happening. Maybe there was this, you know, jealousy going on with these women. Who knows? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not necessarily for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. I think the idea here is opinion. You're sitting at a table, there's a meeting, there's eight people, and you're talking, or there's two people, and you're talking, and you're saying, again, I want to hear what you have to say. I, your opinion is valued to me. Paul says, let that happen. See, that all helps with the unity. Because God wants us to keep unity. Now, I'm, I'm out of time. I apologize. But I want to just go up to chapter 4. And let's just go to verse 1. Or verse 2. And let me just say a word of this. Uh, we, saw, we saw, by the way, we saw here, it's two women, uh, Judea, Syntyche. We see that God wants them to be, um, and Paul writing, wants them to be united in mind. And they're not. Okay? We see these women are laborers, they're godly, and so we're warned that this can happen to any of us. In other words, if it happened to these two godly women, it could happen to us. Okay? Now, does that mean then, and let me give you a couple of verses for the unsaved or for the unreasonable person, and I'll just quote them and I'll finish with verses 4 and 5. Okay? In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 12, I'm paraphrasing, but it says this. You're better off running into a bear that has been robbed of its cubs than a fool in its phone. Okay? Now think about it. A bear robbed of its cubs is out to kill people. And I wouldn't want to meet that bear, nor would you. But you're better off doing that than a fool in its phone. So that means sometimes there are people that are just unreasonable. So you can't make peace with everyone. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, paraphrasing again, but it says, as much as is in you. If possible, as much as depends on you. You do your part, but sometimes you can't have unity. Okay? Paul and David. There is no unity there. I mean, sorry, Saul and David. Saul was trying to kill David. Tried to kill him in 1 Samuel 24. He said he wouldn't do it again, and he did it again in 1 Samuel 26. And Paul didn't trust him, and he shouldn't have. So it's not unity at any cost, and it's not, but we do the best we can to keep the unity. And what, what, what advice does the Bible have for us in those situations? I think verses 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know what that means? It means this. Now listen to this. I know the message is late, but listen to this. Find your joy in God. If you can make that a life goal and a life ambition, you will do well. Find your joy in God. So when I'm running with this unreasonable person and there's no peace and I want peace, but I can't get it, but I can have peace with God. Find your joy in God. And the other piece of advice is this. Let your gentleness be known to all 
man. You know what that means? That the word gentleness means? The word gentleness is like a, a sweet reasonableness. It's like what we had Brother Mark read today with Abraham and Lot. Hey, I don't want any problems. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. I wonder. I have to tell you, he just, when I read that the first time, he just grew in my eyes so much. What a man. Because later you see him bailing Lot out with his army, his trained soldiers. So it wasn't like, I'm timid. It was like, I'm, I'm reasonable. But it says this, that when we are reasonable with, with people and we do the best we can, we defer, it'll be all to, known to all men. I wonder how much Abraham grew in the sight of his men with that statement. And let me just say that people will know. So our part is to be reasonable. And let me conclude with this. This was dear to Paul's heart. And I wonder, I wonder when Paul fell out with Barnabas over John Mark, if that bothered him. Because I think a lot of it was him. John Mark, he later would say, John Mark needs to be restored. I don't think John Mark did anything wrong there. He went to go see his, his mother. But I wonder if this is so deep to Paul because of what he experienced and he wanted that unity. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. We trust and pray that you will use it as you see fit to apply to our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.